You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of the caterpillar. The caterpillar is happy. It's eating, the, you know, the bush. And it's a caterpillar. It's happy. But one day, it's just not happy anymore doing what it's doing. And it climbs up the tree. And it literally falls apart. It cracks itself open and creates a cocoon. It goes internal. And it goes internal to literally activate its imaginal selves. You know, or the God. The God within. However you want to look at it. Great spirit. But to activate its ability to regenerate itself and to rebirth itself. So the little caterpillar has to go through an ego death. And as it's doing that, it literally sends out secretions that dissolve itself. I mean, imagine acid eating away at your being. And that's how it feels sometimes. You know, we feel that like, oh my God, I would, you know, I was going over here to this meditation class thinking that I was going to find peace and love. And, you know, now my wife wants to leave me and my kids are a wreck and you know, my dog won't listen and, you know, I'm eating too much sugar and, you know, whatever. And it's like, what's happening? But when we decide to do something, and you know this is true, none of us really decide to do something until it, everything starts to start work, stop working. We, it would be nice to say, oh, yes, I signed up for that because it sounded like a good idea. What we're doing is like, what the heck is going to help me, you know, even if I don't, even if I don't know what it, what kind of help I want. So. You know, that's a signal to your ego that, oh, brother, things are going to start falling apart and it gets nervous and it resists and all kinds of things. And it calls on its friend, the shadow, to start acting out even more. Right. But really and truly, they really are in what we would say in the Western Kentucky, where I'm from. They're really in cahoots with one another and with spirit because spirit, that's good. Go ahead. Make it really rough so it doesn't work. You know, that makes my job easier. So eventually that little caterpillar dissolves. And you know when it's dissolving, there's got to be some part of it saying, I don't know if this was a good idea, you know. But eventually it starts to reform and reform and then transform. And when it comes out of the cocoon, it doesn't look a whole lot like it did. It has some of the qualities. You know, you can kind of see the caterpillar body in the, in the, the butterfly. But imagine that it doesn't even know yet that it knows how to fly, you know, 
and it's drying its wings and it's sitting there and things look different and it can feel different and it's completely confused. There's no touchstone about things because it's a new world. It knows that it's not the same as it was. This breeze comes and it lifts off and it's flying and there's an exhilaration and there's a beauty and it takes a while to grow into that and to feel feel your new self and to say, oh, not only am um, can I fly, which is an amazing thing, but I can, you know, we get, we get high, we feel good, we feel happy, but also I've learned something and I can teach others. And you think about, just think about even what the butterfly does. It feeds and as it feeds, it transmits pollen and it creates beauty everywhere it goes. And, you know, if a butterfly goes over, everybody goes, look, there's a butterfly, it brings magic to the world. So I love the example of the, of that, that, the, it has to go through an ego death, it has to dissolve, it has to come out shaken and wet and then find a way to take flight and then to share that with others, you know, to share that beauty and to what we've learned with others. And it's a magical, imaginal journey. Um, but of course, everything that doesn't want us to change because it's afraid, not bad, just afraid, is going to resist and build up the energy. You know, build up the birth pain uh, until that old saying that eventually the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of moving forward. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience the joy of being alive. In today's episode, we talk about some really amazing topics, including shamanism, breathwork, the importance of music and sound, our soul's journey, and how you can heal your life. So if you're excited about this episode and you'd like to support our efforts, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button, uh, especially if you're on your iPhone or if you're on Spotify, hit the follow button because that does something to the algorithm that allows more people to come across this very important and profound episode that we're going to get into. Right? So make sure you hit subscribe. And before we actually listen to this episode and the wisdom that is about to be shared, let's listen to our latest iTunes review by a listener named Jackie. And she writes, love AJ and all the guests. Hi AJ, just wanted to send some love your way and thank you for this gift. I've been listening for the past few years and admit I usually skip the breathwork episodes. This morning, my circumstances aligned such that I skipped my regular morning meditation and landed upon a recent episode with breathwork meditation. I tried it and felt great and relaxed now and will definitely do more. Thank you, AJ. Much love to you and all your listeners. Thanks, Jackie. If you would like for me to read out your review as well, make sure you go to my7chakras.com forward slash review. 
my7chakras.com forward slash review. And with that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Linda Star Wolf. So Linda Star Wolf, spiritual granddaughter of the late Seneca Wolf clan elder grandmother Twyla Nietzsche is a visionary teacher and shamanic guide to thousands. Her love for the earth inspired her to write eight shamanic books and give birth to the shamanic breathwork process, ushering a new paradigm of change. Founder and director of Venus Rising Association for Transformation and Venus Rising University, Starwolf is a change agent dedicated to assisting others to release dysfunctional patterns and radically transform their lives. Those who know her intimately see her as a powerful force of nature and a catalyst for accelerated consciousness. And in this episode, we explore what she shares in her book, Shamanic Breathwork, Journeying Beyond the Limits of the Self. So, Starwolf, so glad that you are on the show. Welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I had to chuckle for just a moment because I thought, eight books. Gosh, I need to update my bio. It's 10 books now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I've been busy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, there's something incredible about people like yourself where you find a way to create, but at the same time, you're not hustling, hustling, hustling. You've, it seems like you've tapped into a sense of flow where you're allowing the universe to work through you rather than, you know, the hustle culture, so to speak. Yes. And I see a lot of that, you know, on Facebook and a lot of places. And I'm just like, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I know what it feels like to hustle the energies. And it's like um, when you or when I do drop out of the flow, then you lose your bliss, you lose your happiness, you lose your connection. And then it feels like it's it's not even real. Yeah. You know, so now. Yeah, yeah. So I was hoping to start from the very beginning. And of course, we are going to talk about how to tap into the flow as well. But how did it begin for you? Where did you grow up? And uh, what was life like in childhood? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, everybody has um, their own childhood uh, that's a, a combination of wounds and blessings. Mm-hmm. I've learned that because I've been, you know, basically a therapist of some kind for the past 40 years. So I'm very well aware that we all have, um, you know, the blessings and pains of childhood. So in many ways, I had a beautiful childhood. I'm an only child. I grew up in nature. I grew up with a grandmother who I called my uh, shamanic Baptist uh Celtic grandmother uh, who, who raised me in nature. My young parents were working a lot. And on the farm, I, you know, all the animals that were being raised were my, my companions. And I spent most of my time uh, in nature with my grandmother. And she was very magical herself. Um, on Sunday, we would go to church and, um, you know, I'd hear about Jesus. But then the rest of the week, we were talking about, she was talking about fairies and the ETs and, uh, when we would plant the gardens in the spring, she would call on the, the stars, she would call on the fairies, and she'd call on Jesus all in one breath. So there was no separation from religion or spirituality or nature. It was all one thing. And um, so that was really a blessing. But I was also a very sensitive child. And I think all children are sensitive, but some people get a little bit of an extra dose. 
Um, and I would always hear things from my parents who were young and industrious, and they would say things like, you're, you know, you have an overactive imagination and you're too sensitive. Over, you know, and they didn't mean any harm by it. In fact, they were trying to toughen me up. My dad had come back from the Korean War, and my mom and dad were both hardworking people in the world, and I'm really grateful for the, the values and the strength that they taught me. Um, but the, the, the message was that there was something wrong with me. Mm. And um, being an only child, you know, there was a way in which I was awkward in school from the rest of children, mm -hmm. but there was also a way in which I felt like they were all a lot younger than me, even though I was the youngest in my class. So it was a mixed bag, um, but it was it set this stage, if you will, for me to be different or perceived as different um, and being sensitive and psychic at a very early age and then just speeding along into adolescence. You have to understand my adolescence was in the 60s, mm -hmm. and so the 60s, you know, um, there was a lot of experimentation with altered states. And that was something that I just, you know, fell into completely. <laughs> um, and then after a period of time, I had to find my way back out, quite frankly, because my sanity, my mental state was not good. Um, and that took a while to come back in, uh, from that. And mm -hmm. from that journey, uh, as an adolescent and teenager, um, my next journey began with coming into addiction recovery for myself. Mm -hmm. And then also becoming a specialized teacher in addiction and uh, mental health issues, which I spent most of my 20s working at mental health centers and into my 30s at treatment centers. So I'll, I'll just jump from here and come back to you that I've gotten myself up into my early 30s. That's when I said, okay, how can I go back and got what I had from my childhood, mm. what I got had from my substance use, and experimentation and into the psychedelic world, you know, um, during my teens and early 20s. How can I go back and get that? Because that's true states of altered states consciousness. It's powerful and profound. But how can I bring that into a form that's also uh, grounded and that's not risky in the sense of mental health or physical health and that sort of thing? And then, of course, after discovering that for myself, wow, how do I share this with the rest of the world? Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I mean, as I look at my life as well, I think that uh, grandmothers have a sense of uh, magic within them, right? They have a very caring, comforting experience. And irrespective of whether they are a shaman or not, they do have this way right. of going beyond the veil and, and bringing some wisdom, not uh, based on what they are sharing, but based on how they live their life. I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother on my maternal side would... Uh, you know, put some spices in a, in a paper and douse my energetic body and clear all our negative energies and she would throw, throw it away into the garbage. And back in those days, I had no way of telling what this really meant. And to be honest, by looking at what I saw on TV, I thought that was gibberish. But now, as I deepened my own journey into the astral energetic realm, I knew that there was so much wisdom in what she did back in those days. So thanks a lot for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> Those grandmothers have a lot of wisdom, and I've learned from grandfathers, too. I've learned from um, the elders of uh, many different nations and 
different walks of life, both male and female. Um, but I have to say, especially the grandmothers have had a very profound effect on my life. And I don't think I would be alive. Mm. And I certainly wouldn't be mentally and emotionally healthy and be able to do what I do had I not had that kind of strength and love and uh, demonstration of how to walk upon the earth and how to bring healing to myself and to others with, if I didn't have them to show me the way. Wonderful. So as a kid, did you have any mystical spiritual experiences that sort of planted a seed for your evolution uh, in life? Something that you remember? <laughs> oh, I have, I have many things I remember, you know, and it's like my, my trauma comes up a little bit around it from, you know, my parents saying, you have an overactive imagination. Right. But I definitely remember um, being in bed with my mother. We, were, we lived out in a, a little country road just down the road on the farm that my grandparents had. Um, and the wind, we didn't have air conditioner or anything. This is in the 1950s. And we had the windows open, and I was sleeping at night with my mother. My father was working a midnight shift at the state police. And I opened my eyes, and I think I must have been about four years old, three or four. And I remember very clearly right in front of my eyes seeing a golden fairy floating in front of my eyes. And she was motioning for me to come on. It kind of looked like Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. Right. Um, so, but I don't think that I had ever seen anything about Peter Pan or Tinkerbell at that point in my life. We just, I don't even think we had a TV at that point. But anyway, I uh, <clears throat> got up and followed this little being that motioned for me to come outside. Mm -hmm. And I was very hot. And I remember I just had on like a little t-shirt or something and my panties. And I'm running around in the yard playing. Mm. It's probably 11 or 12 at night chasing this little golden fairy that I see. And my father pulls up in the driveway because he was on the night shift to see. And my mother's in bed to sleep. Mm. And it's like midnight. Mm. And I'm running around in the country outside chasing a fairy. And I got in a lot of trouble over that. <laughs> you know, they're like, you have an overactive imagination, you know. Right. And your grandmother feeds into this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which she yeah. did because, you know, we, that sort of thing. But that's just one of many, many experiences. I was very close to animals mm. and um, they were my deep companions, the farm animals that I raised. And so they were more like pets. People laugh when I tell the story. They say, you sound like um, Snow White, you know, when she's talking to the birds and the rabbits. Yeah. But I did. And I had I was having conversations with those beings and I understood them and it it was only after I started school that I when I was taught that this was my you know this is just your just your imagination mm -hmm. you know which we yeah. know imagination how important it is but this is just your imagination yeah that's when I felt like I was doing something wrong or making it up yeah absolutely I mean the just makes such a huge difference right imagination can be so wild can be so creative can be so open can be so real and for a lot of people who have these imaginative adventures they would tell you and me that imagination is more real than the physical world that we are living in but when you adjust you sort of belittle the imagination right that you're experiencing yeah yeah you shrink it you know like and like it's almost not important or it's frivolous or it's extra right. or something and yet you know, what my, later on, the grandmother that I met later on in my life, mm -hmm. Grandmother Twyla Nitsch of the Seneca Wolf Clan, um, you know, what she said to me and what I 
I now truly understand the same thing that Einstein said, mm-hmm. is that everything comes from the imagination. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the worst thing you can imagine, or the most wonderful thing you can imagine, or the most mediocre thing you can imagine, that everything starts as an idea, as a thought, that translates into feeling, mm-hmm. and then into creation. So there's nothing here that we see, mm-hmm. or that's alive on the planet, that didn't start somehow in the creative world of imagination of the seed, you know, or in the thought. Everything came from the world of the imaginal realms. And so when you say just the imagination, <laughs> what you're actually doing is you're discounting all of its existence, everything right. that's ever been or ever been created. Yeah, and I see that we have a lot of people who are joining us live right now. And part of us doing this live is that we want to interact with you. So if you have any comments, any epiphanies, any things that strike you in your mind, make sure you add a comment below because I'll be you know, looking at the comment section. Towards the end, we can maybe have a Q&A session for people who have asked a question. Uh, but uh, Star Wolf, I was hoping to talk about that phase in your life where you were experiencing panic attacks, right? Or maybe breathlessness experiences. Talk to us about that phase in your life and and what role did it play? Mm -hmm. Um, I need to back up just a little bit and say that my grandmother, who I was so close with and that grounded me, passed unexpectedly when I was 12 years old. Mm. And it, it just left a hole in my energy field. She was, I think, part of what was helping holding and grounding this sensitive, empathic little girl to the earth. And when she left, I was untethered. It was the 60s, so I did go into, as I said, you know, exploration and, you know, peace, love, and Woodstock and all of that, Mm -hmm. uh, and doing all that. And I also, uh, having that sensitive nature already, delving in the psychedelic world, I went into um, a place where I lost myself. And I think that I was on the edge of losing my sanity. I really think that I was right at the edge of, of uh, crossing over into some a, a complete breakdown of some kind. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I didn't have the right kind of guidance to be doing any of that sort of thing. It was all experimentation at that time. Yeah. So um, when I came out of that experience, hmm. uh, which I actually ended up in a psychiatric hospital, for about a week, and I came out of that experience, I had tremendous anxiety, mm. and I, um, you know, I was no longer, I knew I was, met, at that moment, I knew that I was not a person who could do substances like that anymore. It wasn't, I couldn't do that. But even so, I had horrendous uh, anxiety mm-hmm. out of nowhere. I could be talking to someone, and all of a sudden, I would start breathing and panting. I'd feel impending doom. Uh, all the things now that I know is, you know, um, an anxiety disorder. And no matter what I did, it didn't work. Um, mm. I did go back to drinking alcohol because that was the only thing that was helping me. Mm. The doctors wanted to give me medications, and I knew better than to go on the medications. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, this bizarre thing happened. I went into the emergency room saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And actually, my, my sweet father took me. Um, and they knew I had anxiety, but he took me in and he said, she, she says she can't breathe. Um, and they took me in and the doctor, they did all the tests. You said, your oxygen level's fine. This is anxiety. But I'm like, no, I'm, I can't breathe. 
The next thing I know, and I'm begging them to give me oxygen, the next thing I know, the doctor walks over and hands me a brown paper bag. He tells me to put it over my nose and my face and to breathe into it. And I'm going, but I need oxygen. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I, and I do this. And I thought, you know, they always say, you know, like, we'll just put a bag over her head. That's why. I put this bag on my face with my father standing there, and I'm breathing into this bag. And within five minutes, my anxiety's gone, and I felt completely normal. Right. For the first time, I realized that there was the way I was breathing mm. was creating my anxiety, was creating my depression was creating my sense of what reality was. Mm. And that was when I began to search. I started searching. I started reading things by Paramahansa Yogananda, the science of breath. I started um, researching meditation, started doing um, transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later on after that, yoga was just beginning to come into the country, and, and suddenly we were hearing about yoga. So I started practicing yoga breathing, anything that I, I didn't have a teacher. I just had to read about things and books and diagrams and figure it out. So those that was all in my 20s. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I found breath work. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Interesting. I mean, what comes to my mind is sometimes we have people in our lives that are not there for a long time, but uh, they're there for a short period of time when they can provide us that perspective shift. Uh, just like the person giving you that uh, uh, that brown bag to breathe through, that really shifts your life. In my case, when I was a kid, I had a lot of wheezing, a lot of breathing problems. And I would have a panic attack that would start you know, out of nowhere. And when you're in that state, it's very hard to explain in words, but you feel as if Right, your life is slowly pass, quickly passing by, and you, some anything might happen. But I still remember there was this doctor who sort of sat me down and emphasized the importance of breathing slowly and breathing calmly, and just that assurance sometimes can make all the difference. Right? We know that we are not alone on this journey, but for some reason or for some uh, something out in the world, 
or the universe has sent a messenger, so to speak, to provide you that message at that point of time, which in your case was, you know, breathing through that paper bag. And I believe that, you know, I don't know the doctor's name in the emergency room, but thank God, you mm. know, he was there. Yeah. Um, but I think what was happening was that the grief and the pain and the anxiety of my grandmother's sudden death mm. and my young parents not knowing quite how to handle me and my complete leap into hippiedom, which kind of blew them out of the water in the little small town in western Kentucky. Yeah. All the things in my life, I think that I was holding at bay through using the substances in some way and going off and out of body. Mm -hmm. But I got so far out of body, I think that I literally almost left permanently, mm. either you know psychologically or physically or both. And so when I came back in, you know, there was nobody home. Mm -hmm. When I came back in, it's um, I was outside of myself, and it was these feelings of unreality. Mm -hmm. And so the learning to breathe differently um, brought me back home and taught me that I needed to be grounded. And I understood that my spiritual path was going to have to be different than what I thought. Instead of up and out, it was down and in. Mm -hmm. And that's what led me onto the Shemai path, right. because it really was the breath and nature that healed me. Absolutely. And also in your book, you write that at a certain point, you found yourself in an AA meeting, right? So what did the 12 steps uh, do for you at that point in your life? Well, they definitely saved my life. I have to tell you, I'm embarrassed now because um, those years ago when I walked in, I sat down in the meeting and people were identifying and sharing their stories. And mm -hmm. I had been kind of um, you know, I had some people say to me that I thought I should go, and I thought, well, I'll just go check it out, you know. Um, and I, you know, it's not really me, but I'll just go check it out with those people. Yeah. And I sat down uh, because, you know, I hadn't had all the losses that people you hear, you know, have. I had, I wasn't in the alley. I wasn't stealing money. In fact, I worked at the mental health center yeah. and was a counselor. <laughs> right. So I thought. So I thought, you know. I'm just here, you know, uh, learning about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And pe people go around the room and they say that they're an alcoholic and people say hello to them. And it got around to me and I was the last person. And I said, you know, hello, this is my name. And and um, uh, I'm almost an alcoholic. Mm. And they busted out laughing. <laughs> the whole room. And I was mortified. And then the woman had a really good sense of humor who was chairing the meeting. And she said, well, honey, I've heard everything. But I've never heard anybody be almost an alcoholic. She said, that's kind of like being almost pregnant. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and I thought, what? Uh, so it took me a while to, uh, to really hear and understand what people were saying mm -hmm. and understanding that addiction is very different than the way it's presented. Of course, there's the people absolutely in the streets, in the gutters, you know, um, down and out, you know, penniless lost everything mm -hmm. but there's and and you know which can happen to any of us if yep. we if we stay and it could happen to me it could happen to anyone who has a problem but there's also many people who are still working every day raising the family uh working in the field of mental health mm -hmm. um you know who are are becoming addicted to substances perhaps because of their anxiety yeah or their depression yeah or whatever it might be and they don't even know it. And that's yeah. where I was at the ripe yeah. old age of 29 years old. Yeah. Um, and that's when 
um, I, I'll just say I'll share with you I did that uh, March 21st, uh, I will be substance-free for 39 years. Wow. So, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things from this. Firstly, you know, we all assume that we are not addicted, you know, at least some of us. But I had this realization, this epiphany a couple of days back that we, all of us are addicted to something or the other. Some of us are addicted to sugar, some to sex, some to, you know, substances. Because deep down we crave that um, unconditional love maybe or that altered states of consciousness. Maybe we are using the wrong way to get there. But that is doing mm-hmm. something for us innately. And the second thing that came to my mind was uh, I have the good fortune of um, running a men's group that we do on Zoom. And it's really fascinating what the simple process of sitting in a circle and sharing and expressing maybe the stories and that uh, thoughts or that emotions that you're going through, especially as a man, and what it does in a group environment. You might not be doing breath work. But it's still a, an incredibly healing experience just to be in a circle, be in a group that supports you and will not share it with the wider world, right? Yeah, so back up a little bit what you said about everybody having addictions. I, You know, people don't like to hear that sometimes. Yeah. It's, an, it's an affront to their, to their ego yeah. uh, and the shadow doesn't want to know, mm. you know, that it, that it has addictions uh, because knowing that you have an addiction usually implies that you're out of control, right? whether you know it or not. And it also implies that you need to stop doing what you're doing. Mm. And so to think about not doing what you're doing yep. brings up panic and anxiety for what you <laughs> are doing it for. Yeah. And so it's a, you know, chasing your tail and that sort of thing. So um, there was a book written many, many years ago. I used to pass it out to all my clients who would come in. And it was called When Society Becomes an Addict. Uh, uh, by Ann Wilson Shape, When Society Becomes an Addict. And it was a little booklet, and people would say to me, I'm not addicted to anything. And I would like, well, <laughs> you just, just take this home, and when you're not doing anything else, just look at it, you know. Right. And people come back and go, oh, my God, I'm, uh, I'm addicted to TV. Yeah. Or I'm addicted to, you know, uh, sleep, mm. to get away from things, yeah. you know, um, on and on and on. So people begin to be able to see that addiction could be substance addiction or it could be process addiction, right. that sort of thing. Even just ruminating and thinking about something over and over and over and the algorithm rhythms that change, uh, even Facebook, all those things. Addiction is real. Yeah. And the more we are disconnected from a spiritual connection mm-hmm. and disconnected from uh, meaningful relationships, like what you're talking about, being in a circle of people yeah. where there's authentic sharing and where people genuinely care about one another addiction is prevalent and and just let me add one little thing since we are kind of going down the addiction road here yeah um you know there was a study um where they had cages with rats and you know they always use these poor little rats but they use the rats in the cage (laughs) Um, and in the cage basically they put um one rat by itself Mm. and the other rat another cage yeah. And the rat that was by itself, you know, was wanting to be with the other rats. But the other rats were all kind of happy and mean. But this is what what they were doing about addiction to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And in the one with the cage um, by itself, uh, they had two water bowls. One that had actually 
cocaine mm-hmm. in the water bowl, and the other was just water. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in the other one that had the family of rats. And the, the one with the family of rats, once they tasted the cocaine water, completely stayed away from it and stayed with the regular water. Mm-hmm. But the rat that was by itself, within a very short period of time, chose the cocaine water. Mm-hmm. And they did this um, study more than once yeah. with different rats. And it was the same every time. So what was the conclusion of that? It's pretty simple when they, you know, that isolation right. and feeling alone and cut off, whether, you know, whether it's from God, great mystery, great spirit, from other people, from your deep, cut off. Mm-hmm. When, you ha- when you have the choice, okay, mm-hmm. of being with people, with others, or being with a substance, being with others that love you, People will choose that mm. when they're seen and heard. And I call it when I teach in my groups and my shamanic groups, and I'll say that, you know, addiction itself has its own spirit. Mm-hmm. And there's less there's lesser spirits. Sometimes mm. addiction actually holds a place for you and almost saves you if it doesn't kill you until you can get to a place mm-hmm. where you find the higher spirits, the higher ground right. that and bring you to yourself and to love and to um, those life-giving choices. It gives you back the choice and recovery and discovery of your life. That's very true. And I don't know how to put it, but I you know, sense that sometimes our higher spirit or our higher self will choose the lesser of the two evils of addiction, right? So that we can go down that route till the time that we have something or a group of people that can really uplift us, pull us to the next level and show us and shower us with that unconditional love. So I really appreciate yeah. you sharing that experiment. And unfortunately, they do these experiments with rats and hopefully things will change in the future. But it, it is definitely, it's definitely a learning that we thrive in, in our groups, in our communities. And uh, if you've not found a group yet, know that there is a group, a spiritual tribe that is that is waiting to support you. Uh, Linda, in your book, you write this amazing uh, phrase. It says, I can't, higher power can, I'll surrender to higher power. So talk to us about the importance and power of surrendering to that higher power, because sometimes in our life, and a lot of times it happens when we're in, in, in our mid-age, maybe 25, maybe 35, 45, but whatever age it happens, we feel really stuck. We feel really overwhelmed by uh, our place in life. So talk to us about the importance of surrender at this juncture in our life. Mm-hmm. I have to comment on what you said about sometimes there's a part of us that will take us down a path until we can get to where we need to get to. Yeah. That is such a wisdom teaching, and a lot of people don't understand that. It's like, why don't you just choose the right things and you know, and just you know, uh, make those right choices? Everybody has a choice. But I have to say to you personally, having that experience and working truthfully for, I mean, thousands of people I've worked with over the years, mm-hmm. I tell people though sometimes they'll be shameful and saying, you know, I'm addicted to alcohol, I'm addicted to pornography, I'm addicted to this, and I'll help them to get to what is the feeling they're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about the feeling, there's nothing wrong with where they're trying to get to. Right. And I bring that and I said, you know, your addiction, since it didn't kill you, may have saved your life. Yep. It may have held a place marker for you mm-hmm. until you could find recovery, until you could find shamanism, until you could find meditation, until you could find a healthier diet, until 
whatever it could be for you, it probably, because my addictions saved me mm. from the void I was feeling from my grandmother's death, mm -hmm. that I think I might have become truly, truly suicidal in a, in a world that didn't get me. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have something right. to hold that place for me until I could find that way. So I found my higher power. Mm -hmm. And let me back up to say, I was always an extremely spiritual child. Mm -hmm. Even when I was using substances and, you know, in the 60s and 70s, I was a very spiritual person. Mm -hmm. I, I was, you know, Ram Dass, all of that, you know. I was very spiritual. My psychedelic trips were very spiritual. Right. But I wasn't grounded and I wasn't very human. <laughs> you know, I was a spiritual being mm -hmm. supposed to be having a human experience. Yeah. <clears throat> but I wasn't. I was trying to leave because it was so painful. I didn't know how to be here. Right. And so I was settling for the addictions of the lesser gods until I could find the way. And so... I was already going to Unity Church. I was already um, beginning to uh, read about Course in Miracles and mm -hmm. became a Course in Miracles teacher. I was already doing all those things when I hit bottom. Mm. I was already doing those things. For anybody out there who's like very spiritual but you feel secretly that you've got something, I had that going on. And I was 29 years old, going through my first Saturn return, and I end up once again drinking too much at night mm. at home ashamed, um, just hitting a bottom, and I found my higher power in the bathroom, <laughs> mm. on my knees, on my knees, and just saying, if you will help me, whatever you are, mm. if you will help me to stop drinking, if you'll help me to uh, not kill myself, basically, and mm. take away this compulsion this obsessive compulsion that every day I say I'm not going to do this and then I do it, if you will remove that from me, mm. whatever you are, I promise the rest of my life is yours. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to that, every day I would say I wasn't going to drink. I didn't drink all day. I did my housework. I worked all day. Per nobody knew. And then at night, I would be drinking to the point of intoxication. Mm -hmm. From that prayer mm -hmm. to today, I've never used, again, any mind-altering substances except occasionally some sugar, yeah. some caffeine occasionally, and love, mm. and breath, and music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so hard to, you know, use words, but there's definitely something out there that responds to us once we, you know, from a true heart, really yearn and seek and ask for signs or nudges or symbols or people that might come to our life just to pass on that message. And I'm pretty sure people are listening to this uh, episode right now um, who are at that phase. And we all find ourselves in such junctures from time to time. But, you know, what we're learning is there's incredible amount of power in just in just surrendering completely to the universe and, and asking that profound question. Um, so, uh, Starwolf, you've implied in your writings that there are separate realities that exist on many different levels of consciousness. So what have you found so far that sort of confirms this or gives us more idea about these <laughs> different separate realities that we jump in and out of maybe, or we get a glimpse of uh, different uh, phases of our life? <laughs> 
Well, what a huge question. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, where do I go? I have so many experiences. Right. You know, I think back to the little girl who saw the fairy mm. that no one else saw, yeah. you know, uh, all those years ago. I think of even the the psychedelic trips I taught, where other, um, I taught what it's, uh, that I took, yeah. you know, and what I was seeing versus what other people were seeing, you know, of the places that I went, that where I did remember things and there were teachings for me. Um, and then, of course, working with the breath itself mm-hmm. um, and working with the medicine of that, of going into the breathing and going into that natural altered state, I've made 99.9% of my decisions over the past 35 years mm-hmm. after a breathwork experience. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying earlier tonight to Nicholas, I was saying, I need to breathe. Yeah. You know, and it'd be funny if somebody doesn't know, well, aren't you breathing? It's like, no, I need to, I need to have a breathwork session. I have some decisions I need to make. I'm not clear what they are. Yep. And I know that if I do this breathing, that I will get the answers from a higher dimension and a higher plane than what I'm trying to resolve it at, at this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing is to go into the altered state. Because in the state we're in, okay, yep. when we're struggling to find the answer, mm-hmm. we're not going to find it at that level. Oh. We've, we've, we've already looked under every rock. We've already looked under every... You know, we've done everything that we can do. Maybe we've been to counselors. We've done whatever. It's going to take an ego death. It's going to take an ego death. And the shadow doesn't like that because, and neither does, you know, the ego because it's like, wait a minute, you're talking about killing me. And I'm like, not (laughs) all of you, you know, you're so strong. You're going to survive just at a higher octave, you know. It's Mm. like, no, I'm not going, you know. Um, And so, but to be psychologically aware that we have, the parts of us, the ego and the shadow that want to say, the ego wants to keep things status quo mm-hmm. and the shadow wants to be able to play behind our backs and just not really ever see it, you know, and blame mm-hmm. it on other people and stay mm-hmm. a victim. Yeah. But the biggest part of us, the biggest and best part of us says, come here, honey. <laughs> it's time, you know, it's time for you to just surrender. You know that the answer is not here. Mm-hmm. And that's a spiritual practice. The spiritual practice for me of the shamanic path is whenever death comes knocking at my door, that it finds me at home, yeah. and it finds me willing to say, okay, this looks like a good day to die, and then to take the time to do what I need to do. So for me, going into an altered state, I might it might be once a month, it might be once every six months. Right. It could be that some, I'm going through something, and that it's every day for a week that I allow myself to journey and travel and find the answers. The answers to everything, the antidote to everything, mm-hmm. exists. Every illness that's on this planet, every uh, illness in every level mm-hmm. exists. And the antidote, the healing medicine to it. And we're meant to go through these journeys so that our souls grow. We're not really victims. It right. can feel that way. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I have worked with as I said before, thousands of people, um, and to say to them, I'm not your healer. Mm. I'm your facilitator. And, and they're like, but you're shamanic. And I'm like, yes, I am. I know how to heal myself. And what I want to do is to teach you how mm-hmm. to heal yourself. Right. This episode is brought to you by me, AJ. 
because I'm offering you a free Breathwork Foundations course. If you've been interested in exploring Breathwork and learning about the why behind Breathwork, including the science and evidence that makes this ancient practice so amazing, then you got to check out this course. You will discover how to correct your breathing, how to boost your immunity and protect yourself from pathogens and bacteria, what the ancients told us about breath, how to lose weight using breathwork, how to improve sleep, digestion and mental clarity using a simple breathing technique. So come enroll in this free course and learn the basics of breathwork by going to my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Yeah, that is such an important and profound point. Um, and what you share makes so much sense at a spiritual level, but also at a scientific level. Because if you look at science, the way our brain is wired is that we have these neural pathways down which our neurons are firing. And over a period of months or years, we have these same neural pathways. We're trying the same things and we're not getting the results. But what you're sharing is you're not going to solve that problem with the same level of consciousness. You need to go on a hero's journey um, yes. through breathwork maybe. And depending on how often you want to do it, but that's going to give you a different vantage point of looking at the same thing mm -hmm. and looking at things really differently. So thanks a lot for bringing that perspective to our light. And, you know, continuing on the same point, what I wanted to mention is when we embark on a spiritual journey, when we consciously realize that we want to change our life and we take certain steps towards that direction, maybe it's a meditation or a breathwork journey, maybe some deep journaling about the truths and, you know, exploring shadow work. Why does it feel like our life tends to fall apart one by one? I've noticed this theme in many people's lives, including mine, including based on what you've shared. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, what is this phase all about where our life seems to be falling down, shattering into pieces <laughs> and worse than even before? Well, you say, why does it feel that way? What, because it does. It does fall <laughs> apart. You, you know, you can think about, think, I, you know, I like to use the example, I mean, it's kind of cliche now, but I've been using mm. this example for years, but of the caterpillar. The caterpillar yeah. is happy, it's eating, the, you know, the bush, and it's a caterpillar, it's happy. Yeah. But one day, it's just not happy anymore doing what it's doing, and it climbs up the tree, and it literally falls apart. It cracks itself open and creates a cocoon. It goes internal, mm. and it goes internal to literally activate its imaginal self. Mm. you know, or the God, the God within, however you want to look at it, great spirit, but to activate its ability to regenerate itself and to rebirth itself. So the little caterpillar has to go through an ego death. Mm. And as it's doing that, it literally sends out secretions that dissolve itself. I mean, imagine acid eating away at your being. And that's wow. how it feels sometimes. You know, we feel that like, oh my God, I was, you know, I was going over here to this meditation class thinking that I was going to, find peace and love and, you know now my wife wants to leave me and my kids are a wreck and you know my dog won't listen and you know i'm eating too much sugar and you know whatever and it's like what's happening mm. but when we decide to do something and you know this is true none of us really decide to do something until it, everything starts to start working yeah. stop working right we it would be nice to say oh yes i signed up for that because it sounded like a good idea what we're doing is like 
what the heck is going to help me? Yeah. You know, even if I don't, even if I don't know what it, what kind of help I want. Mm. So, the, you know, that's a signal to your ego that, oh, brother, things are going to start falling apart, mm. and it gets nervous and it resists and all kinds of things, and it calls on its friend the shadow to start acting out even more, mm-hmm. right? But really and truly, they really are in what we would say in the Western Kentucky where I'm from. They're really in cahoots with one another and with spirit. Right. Because spirit, that's good. Go ahead. Make it really rough so it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that makes my job easier. So eventually that little caterpillar dissolves. And you know when it's dissolving, there's got to be some part of it saying, I don't know if this was a good idea. Mm. You know? But eventually it starts to reform. Mm. And reform and then transform. Right. And when it comes out of the cocoon, it doesn't look a whole lot like it did. It has some of the qualities. Yeah. You know, you can kind of see the caterpillar body in the in the, the butterfly. Mm-hmm. But imagine that it doesn't even know yet that it knows how to fly. Right. You know? And it's drying its wings and it's sitting there and things look different and it can feel different. And it's completely confused. There's no touchstone about things because it's a new world. Mm-hmm. It knows that it's not the same as it was. Right. This breeze comes and it lifts off and it's flying and there's an exhilaration and there's a beauty. And it takes a while to grow into that and to feel feel your new self mm. and to say, oh, not only am, um, can I fly, which is an amazing thing, but I can, you know, we get, we get high, we feel good, we feel happy. Mm. But also, I've learned something and I can teach others. And you think about, just think about even what the butterfly does. It feeds, and as it feeds, it transmits pollen, and it creates beauty everywhere it goes. And, you know, if a butterfly goes over here, everybody goes, look, there's a butterfly. It brings magic to the world. So I love the example of of that, that it has to go through an ego death. It has to dissolve. It has to come out shaken and wet and then find a way to take flight and then to share that with others. You know, to share that beauty and to what we've learned with others. And it's a magical, imaginal journey. Um, but of course, everything that doesn't want us to change because it's afraid, not bad, mm-hmm. just afraid, is going to resist right. and build up the energy. Mm-hmm. You know, build up the birth pain uh, until that old saying that eventually the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of moving forward. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson, um, you know, to share. And for people who are listening to this episode right now, you know, inherent in your life condition is the ability to heal as well. And so sometimes you need to trust the process of shedding uh, and and know that there's a metaphor metamorphosis that's awaiting your journey, but also like every healer's journey, you're not satisfied with just healing yourself, like you've alluded okay. to. The butterfly wants to help others; they want to support others because they know how nourishing this experience feels like. And once you know that you're addicted to your own self, to your own self love, <laughs> you want to share it because yeah. you're like, don't get addicted to that. Get addicted addicted to this. Because this right. is your own, you know, your own love that there's an abundant supply of. Uh, and, you know, and until people are willing to get off of the linear path, mm. you know, of trying to just um, look good, mm. you know, because there's going to be a period of time when you're undergoing the shamanic process. Yeah. 
um, that you're not going to look good. You're not going to have good hair. Yep. You're not going to. You're not going to have a great attitude. You know. Yep. You can fake it. It's okay if you got to work. Go to work and fake it. That's okay. You yeah. know. And if you got to take care of your kids or your dog, you need to do that. Yeah. But you know, you you also hopefully are reaching out to others who can midwife or mid-husband your process, you know, and be there with you. Um, you know, we're not meant to do it alone. In the Christian tradition, it says, where two or more are gathered, there will you find me. And that's the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, and so, and then Grandmother Twyla, she would say that if you were meant to do it alone, the Creator would have only made one of us. Mm. You know, we, we need each other. And it's okay. Mm. I'm not talking about being needy and addictive and codependent. But it's okay to need other people. Right. You know, there, it's funny in that, you know, now people are saying can be being sovereign all the time. And mm. I, I get that. Yep. I get that. I, you know, you know, I get it. Uh, <laughs> but there was a song during the 60s that said, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Mm. And there was a beautiful song. People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And I think that's what what we're really seeing is, is to know that we didn't really come here unless we were, maybe, maybe unless our lifetime is designated yogi on top of the mountain, meditate for peace for the world in a blissful state. Yeah. You know, there's one in, one in a billion people that are called to do that. Yeah. If that's not your path, we're meant to need each other. Right. And to, like the bees in the hive, mm -hmm. to collaborate with one another and to create honey, to create beauty together. Yeah. Uh, to love each other, you know, and to come together and to love one another. Where people die in isolation, they get sick in isolation, they conjure up illnesses in isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why, especially with what's happening in the world right now, it's so important for people to find a way, even if it's on Zoom and it's on or it's live. You know, we've been doing tons and tons of live stuff for people uh, almost, you know, every week uh, because. People are in isolation, mm -hmm. and, and that is not healthy. You know, we may need to do certain things to protect ourselves, you know, from pandemics and things, but there's other things that um, are just as dangerous, and that is isolation. Is a, a, more people will die from isolation than anything. Yeah. Broken hearts and addictions by going into isolations. And um, there was something you said that triggered something I wanted to say. Um, I think it's just basically that give yourself permission mm. to have a bad hair day. Give yourself mm. a permission not to to be on top of your game yeah. um, and running your story or, you know, especially for people out there who are uh, facilitators of mental health mm. or who are walking, uh, who are meditators or who are teachers, spiritual teachers especially. Yeah. Be authentic. Yeah. Be authentic with your people. Yeah. You know, I... You know, I've been working with people for years and years, and there was a time when I tried to show a certain face, and I don't do that anymore. If, right. You know, I come in, and I don't overburden people with my problems, but I do come in and say, I have some things going on, too, but I feel that I could be here with you today. And yeah. at the end of our time, I'll share with you some of the things that's going on with me. Mm -hmm. And people have said to me, wow, that's refreshing. Thank you so much, because I've been trying to live up to some game. So it's time to get off the linear path, my friends, and and time to get onto a spiral path that mm -hmm. constantly invites us to change when change comes, when it's time, when it's time and it knocks on our door to humbly surren surrender and to call upon our higher power 
and to surrender and say, you know, may my will be connected to the will of the great mystery or to whatever it is that you want to connect to. May my will be connected to that. Mm -hmm. May I trust that there's something way smarter than me as a human being um, that can support me and make my journey easier if I want it to be. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a lot of uh, things to really reflect on. I mean, you're sharing so many things that, I mean, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, fascinating that you speak about hair because um, I just shaved my hair two days back. <laughs> you know, just two days back, and uh, you know, maybe I received a message. Have a spiritual, did that have a spiritual meaning for you? Yeah, it, it is because I find myself so attached to my hair. And, uh, you know, in my own spiritual journey of realizing that I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my emotions, I'm not this physical body, I felt that there was this this uh, sense of wanting to go back to how things were. And, and to admit it, I was experiencing a little bit of hair fall as well. Uh, but I came across some other men who were of the opinion that, you know, you are not your hair. And by experiencing, um, you know, cutting off or shaving off your hair, it will hopefully open up something new for you. And what I got from it was amazing uh, because, you know, when I shed my hair off, it was a different experience. But I also noticed within a few days that this beautiful, you know, uh, hairs was growing from my scalp. I've never had this experience uh, uh, before of going from zero to one because always when you have hair, it's growing, but you don't notice the growth. But from going from zero, no hair to hair, it just remarked, uh, the, the beauty of life uh, and an aspect of plants and trees that is within you that the hair is responding to something and, and is and is growing so that was a interesting uh, you know spiritual journey but starwolf I, what i wanted to speak of was from time to time you know you've had these visions that you write about and one of them was meeting seneca wolf clan grandmother twyla niche right so talk to us about that encounter and 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 what did you receive the first time that you had this vision you know i first met grandmother twyla in a vision before i met her in person and i didn't know who she was um and i shared about losing my grandmother so i was on a journey to find a grandmother either within or without that would guide me Mm. um and one of my dear friends she was a cherokee uh, a woman, and she was close to my age, and we were exchanging healing sessions with each other. I was sharing some breath work with her, mm. and she was sharing uh, her teachings with me. We were doing sweat lodges, and just the two of us, and she was teaching me some beautiful things. Mm. And she said, you know, Star, she said, I think that you still have a lot of grief around your grandmother. Mm. And I said, duh, yeah, I do. You know, I, yeah, I still do. I've worked through it a lot. I get it. Yeah. And I do. And she said, well, you need another grandmother to come in and be here for you, you know. And I thought, huh. And she said, you know, let's, you know, maybe it'll just be a grandmother that's more of a spirit guide on the other side. Or maybe it'll be a grandmother that actually shows up in your life. So she started doing <clears throat> a ritual with me, which mm. she recorded. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, we had a boom box. And we, like, had two tapes in it and went boink. And she recorded it for me, this journey. Mm. And then I took it home. And I was to listen to it every day for about 20 or 30 minutes. And that's what I was doing. That was my spiritual practice. I would get home from working at the uh, treatment center, and I would sit down on the floor, and I would listen to this. And sometimes I'd go into a really deep state. So I went into this deep state of consciousness, and um, I don't know, day 20 or something that I'm listening to this, I went way out. And all of a sudden, I felt my 
head l lying in someone's lap. And I realized that I was in an underground kiva in a, a cave. Mm. And someone was stroking my hair mm. and saying, my gentle wolf, my gentle star wolf. And I realized that they were calling me star wolf. Mm. Uh, and I just felt this love come over me. And it was the same kind of love that I felt coming from my grandmother when I was a little girl. Right. And I thought it was her. But I looked up and it wasn't. And it was this beautiful, you know, clearly native grandmother with long white hair and beautiful and looking at me with the same eyes as my grandmother as a child. Um, and I went, oh, I finally have discovered the grandmother. And she disappeared. So mm -hmm. I came out from the meditation. And I, so without going into a long story, what I'll say to you is that it took me several years because this is prior to Google, prior to the internet, mm -hmm. I didn't have a computer, you know, to find her. I was living in Kentucky at the time, and it took me this journey, and it was synchronicity. It was um, magic and medicine that, that brought me. Mm. Um, I started, you know, that led me on a trail of breadcrumbs to finally find her and to go to the reservation and find her. And when she saw me, mm -hmm. she looked at me, she walked out to me, and she walked right to me, and she said, hello, and I said, hello, and she said, so what took you so long? Yeah. And I thought, does she know? And so I said, um, well, you didn't tell me anything about you, your name or anything. You came to me in a vision. And she smiled and she laughed. And she said, and what name did I give you? And I said, Star Wolf. Mm. She said, that's right. And I thought, Okay, I wonder why she doesn't know the name. I thought, did you know, what was... And as we started to walk off, she turned around and looked at me, and she said, come on in the house. She said, oh, by the way, I gave you that name in an underground kiva. Right. And I almost passed out. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Chills ran through my body. I mm. felt like my head was going to explode. And she took my arm, and we walked in the house. And from that day forward... Uh, you know, I talked to her on the phone. I went back to visit her. I brought her out to California where I was living mm -hmm. to be with my students. I created a gathering where um, many people could meet her, those kinds of things. Um, and the day she actually passed from this world at 94 years young, I was teaching. Our bond was so strong. I was teaching in um, out, uh, on the Clackamas River. There's a retreat center there in Oregon. And uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but anyway, uh, it was a beautiful retreat center. And I got up at four that morning, was called out into the rain to go visit the, these two elder trees that have survived being clear cut that are like a thousand years old in the forest there. It's like a grandmother and grandfather tree. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in between of those trees and I was having a whole vision of Grandmother Twyla and uh, about how all things die and all things pass and, and yet the love continues. I went back to my room. And they had called me to tell me from Florida that um, while I was out, that she had passed mm -hmm. at the time that I was awakened by her to tell me to go visit the trees and that, that she had actually asked for me. So I, right. I told them, I said, she found me. <laughs> she knew where I was. She found me. So, and she's, you know, she's with me. She and my grandmother, what she did though, one last thing about Grandmother Twala, yep. and that is I found out that she was born in the same year as the grandmother that I had. Mm. They would, she would have been the same age. My grandmother died in her 50s, but they would have been the same age. And they were born two days apart in December. They're both Sagittarius. I'm Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. And when I got Grandmother Twyla back, I got my Mammy Jones back.
she came back through to me too. So now they're both on the other side and they're both very strong and present in my life because I didn't, I was so devastated when my grandmother passed. I wasn't able to really connect with her. But when I got grandmother Twyla back, I also got my grandmother, my Mammy Jones back. And they're, they're with me. And I call on them, and you better believe that they help me. Right. That's such an, such an interesting, really interesting story that you shared right there. Um, Action Drive listeners who are listening, if you can, please share this live stream right now because, you know, the goal is to get more people to come across this important and profound information. Um, so, Star Wolf, when you finally met her, and she said, you know, what took you so long? Firstly, what was your reaction and, and how did that shape your worldview of life and your understanding or relationship to magic? Because we live in a world where we're taught where everything is normal, right? You, you, you know, you apply for a job and you're hoping that your boss gives you a promotion and then you save up for retirement, you have babies, you know, the same thing. And we're not encouraged to think about magic. And I can't emphasize that enough. We see, you know, movies like Doctor Strange, you know, and we see all these things happening. And we feel that that is just figments of our imagination. And once in a while, we come across these stories, like what is written in the autobiography of a yogi and the fact that people can levitate and, you know, send messages across the astral realm and heal their own bodies. And we've definitely tapped into some part of it, you know. People are realizing the importance, the significance of energy medicine and breath work. But, you know, just to hear her at one point communicate with you in your dreams. And now you're meeting that person in real life. And she's she's confirming that she did in, in, indeed send that message. How did that shape your worldview on, on, you know, on life? Well, you know, as I said before, as a child, I very much believed in magic. And, of right. course, growing up in the 60s and all that whole thing, I lived in a magical hippie world, yeah. you know, and then I got sober and, you know, did, you know, put, kind of put my nose to the grindstone and that sort of thing, but mm. not too much, but I'm kind of a, a magical creature yeah. um, and have had many magical experiences. But when you have a vision, you're seeking a vision mm. and something comes to you in the imaginal world and then it manifests in the outer world with a person living and breathing in front of you who actually confirms and says to you, I came to you in an underground Kiva and I gave you your name. What is it? Hmm. You know, yeah. you, it's, it's so for mama, it's so dissonant. Um, it reminds me of Carlos Castaneda's work. It's like, if, if you know, Carlos Castaneda's work, it's like, um, it's almost like, you know, that his teacher hit him in the back the way he would do or do something completely to scramble his, his thinking there's a way in which everything makes sense and nothing makes sense. And you realize in that moment that everything that you've been doing to that moment mm. has been leading you to this place. Mm. And it's true with everything, I think. But there's these epoch moments, epoch yeah. moments. There's these moments where you, um, it's, it's magic, it's like a terma, they call it, where your reality shatters mm. right in front of you. And you have the option of going crazy in that moment and completely losing it and saying this can't be happening and running off screaming naked in the woods yeah. or stepping one for step forward and going this is real and this is realer than where I just came from this is the real reality the real reality and of course at that time it's often helpful to have something to hold on to like another person mm. 
It really is. And it's okay. You know, um, in an age when we, you know, are more Aquarian, we are learning through the path of direct experience, which I do a lot of, lot of learning <laughs> through the path of direct experience, especially in shamanic breath work. That's a path of direct experience. But in that path of direct experience, you know what? Grandmothers come to me, grandfathers come to me, animals come to me. My, I see things from my past that needs to be healed and released. You know, there's lots of things that come to me. So I'm really not alone. I'm being worked with in that state with other beings and other things that aren't in necessarily in physical form with me. Mm. Being with Grandmother Twyla taught me that she was working with me for years. Mm. For years. And she knew it. Right. She knew about me. She was working with me for years before I knew if she was for real or not in this world. Mm. And when that was confirmed... Some sort of, it was a conversion for me. Yeah. And that moment, something completely changed for me. Yeah. And I didn't go back through the door of disbelief again. I just didn't. That doesn't mean I don't have a bad hair day. It doesn't mean I don't get a headache. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Mm -hmm. But I, I stopped being afraid. And I stopped doubting myself and magic and life and mystery and... There was no going back mm. to the person prior to that happening. That's how right. radically it changed my life. So it, I will say this. From that time, mm -hmm. from that time, my organization, Venus Rising, Association for Transformation, which has served thousands of people around the world, was born. Mm -hmm. Shamanic breathwork itself was trademarked and born. Mm. My whole life, uh, you know, I started teaching at institutes around the world. Uh, I've traveled, you know, I've done breathwork in Peru and in Egypt, which we go again this year, hopefully, you know, in Africa and Bali, you know, all around the world um, and all over the United States and, and Vancouver and everywhere um, and trained many, many people to do this work. And prior to that, prior to that meeting with Grandma the Twyla, I still had one foot in the water mm -hmm. and one foot on the shore. Yeah. One foot, and when I stepped into her world, both feet went into the water in the deep dive into the mystery. And I said to her, can you tell me where we're going and what's going to happen? And she said, trust the great mystery. And yeah. I said, what is a great mystery? And she said, well, if I told you that, it wouldn't be the great mystery. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I think by starting this podcast, I have put myself on the path of the great mystery because I come across people like yourself who remind me that, and it's so easy to forget, but remind me that magic is real and uh, our imagination is more powerful than we give it credit for. Have you heard of the Eleusinian Mysteries? The Eleusinian Mysteries, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the story of uh, the, the goddess Demeter and her daughter Persephone, yeah. right? I mean, that's the ultimate Persephone. story of knowing that, uh, you know, life, love does not cease uh, when life ends and you know, how her story goes about wanting to find her daughter that was kidnapped, right, and, and was away from her. And then she had this mystical, magical, spiritual experience. And I don't know if she found her daughter, her daughter came back, or maybe she had an yeah, astral yeah. encounter, right, with her daughter. Ah. Right? Because ah. it could be that also, right? Because maybe she was depressed yeah, and yeah. she was anxious. But then uh, the, the, the substance or whatever she was doing, maybe breathwork even, gave her a glimpse into the um, uh, infiniteness of life. And 
it's so incredible when people are able to connect with a story. You don't have to experience it yourself, but you uh, have this realization that, you know, the, the, the universe has a plan for you. Yes. Yes, there's so many of those stories. The Anana story is one of my favorites. It's very similar to, uh, to Demeter and uh, to Persephone, you know, and all of these stories, whether it's the Christ story or the um, uh, Osiris story. I, I love Egyptian. I, yeah. You know, I've co-authored three books on the Egyptian mysteries. And right. to me, that's much ancient, more ancient than Christianity and Judaism and all the, you know, more modern day religions in the last few thousand years. It's more ancient. It's in the old time before. Tepe, the time before time, and those mysteries are all the precursors to all of the spiritual paths today, and they're all shamanic paths. Mm. Every one of them say that in order to be born into the new iteration of who it is that we are and imagine ourselves forward like the caterpillar does into the butterfly, that we must die. Mm. And, you know, they use the wheat, they do, the, they do that with the staff of wheat and say this wheat must grain must fall to the ground yep. in order to die and be, be born again. Yep. So every, every spiritual path is about dying and being reborn again in one shape, form, or fashion. So to me, shamanism, mm. okay, core shamanism at its heart and soul is the core and the foundation of every spiritual tradition in the world. It might not have been called shamanism. Yeah. Who knows what it was called? doesn't matter, but the, the word that understanding, you know, traditionally as we know now, the shaman must die and be reborn yeah. into a new life and its own self must die. Yeah. And therefore sees the world in a magical way thereon yeah. and works with the elements and with the spirits. Yeah. And it's a grounded thing. It's not just a woo-woo thing. It's a very grounded path yeah. that's nature, that's natural. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know that in Egypt, the ancient word for um, the elemental world was called the Neteru, the great Neters, N-E-T-E-R-S, and plural is Neteru. Oh. And the Neteru, that were the the first Neteru were there was a great spirit. Yeah. Okay. The or the one, the Atman, the whatever, and then from that there were four spirits. And that was water, earth, fire, and air. And then the main spirit that emanated through those in a physical form. And these these elemental beings were called the great netters. Later on, they were called the great nature okay. spirits, right, as we evolved, right? And today, we would call them nurture. Mm. So in order to nurture ourselves everybody's saying go outside get sunlight go in the water go to the earth go sit by a tree put your feet take your shoes off yeah return to nature to the netters that came from the one from the one source yeah there's so many things of what you share is makes it so you know important Uh, you know in my case my mom is a christian my dad is a hindu so that allowed me to experience both forms both traditions. I read the New Testament, Old Testament when I was a kid. So I knew about the stories as well. And there was something that deeply connected me to Jesus. Although I wasn't, you know, uh, too connected with what happened in the church, but there was some kind of connection that I knew that he was an ascended master and I wanted to know more. And now I read about the Dead Sea Scrolls, Nag Hammadi, the Essenes. It's really, you know, it's really fascinating. And when you go to the church, 
everything is symbolism right symbolism there's a lot of ritual that's going on and they celebrate the awakening uh, and so the cycle of life it's all there but a lot of people won't acknowledge or or admit it um which is which is uh, which is really interesting and thanks for bringing uh, the importance of nature and nurture to us I love cold exposure. I love uh, you know testing myself and going into cold waters. And uh, you know about a month back I went into uh, one of the you know uh, beaches that we have here in Vancouver and I immersed myself in the water in the salt water. And then as I read about uh, the Eleusinian mystery, mysteries one of the things that they used to do is they used to immerse themselves in the ocean water because they knew that the salt had these healing therapeutic releasing purgative qualities that allowed you to experience a purification i just realized that later cool. on <laughs> it's, where, it's where baptism came from yeah right 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 uh-huh. okay so um the old thing about in order to have eternal life mm-hmm. one must be born again and you must simulate going back into the mother's womb yeah and casting aside not casting aside your parents but casting aside your attachment to whatever your family of origin was your shadows and your programming mm-hmm. and be born now first of mother and then of spirit so when you're born again mm. you're born of the holy spirit which mm. I think is also the kundalini life force energy, right. the great awakening, and you have this ecstatic experience. Yeah. You know, and people make fun of people saying they're holy rollers yeah. or, but you know, in India, you know, the people go ecstatic. Yeah. And this, this ecstatic thing that happens is real. It's an awakening as the energy moves through the chakras. Yeah. And it's why people are afraid of it because it can look so crazy. Mm-hmm. And people breathing on the breathwork floor go through this and have these <laughs> yeah. kundalini awakenings sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody might just breathe and have a beautiful journey and see flowers. But yep. the person across the room might have a full-on kundalini experience. One of the things I've experienced about doing this work is that if we create this safe container for people, mm-hmm. is that they have the journey they're meant to have. Mm-hmm. Their inner self, their inner guru, their inner shaman, the inner Holy Spirit, the nature spirits, whatever, Elvis, whatever, it will help you find your path and take you through the healing if you will trust it. Mm. And of course, having having people around you that are, you've said it, you know, uh, when we do our journeys with people, people come together in a group afterwards. We don't uh, just do breath work with people. That's not... We'll do that as an introduction so that people can have an experience to see what it's like. But when we do the real deal, people are in a group, and we've been doing it uh, all year. Um, We've been doing these two-week-long trainings, or two weeks at a time, so around four hours a night for two weeks, taking people through a training. And when we do that, after people breathe, we put everybody into chat rooms, and every one of them has a facilitator, a trained facilitator. No more than four people in that facilitator's group. Mm. So we have that. And so people get to process very deeply what has happened for them to make sense because people become very vulnerable and open. And we want people to go deep, Mm. you know. And, and, you know, this is so important, the work you're doing right now. I have to say this. It's what you're doing. I just want to honor you, Um, you know, because, you know, I get interviewed a lot. And I'm really, this is a really good interview because you're really, um, for me, you know, I can tell you're an evolved person and that you're evolving and that you're, you're on the, you're on the path, your path. And 
um, and it comes across with the depth and the sincerity with which your the interview is. Mm-hmm. So I want to I just wanted to acknowledge that, and I'm you know you're allowing me to go deeper yeah. uh, than, than instead of keeping it, um, you know, for kindergartners. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, before, uh, you know, I started my podcast, I, sh- I should do like 45 minute interviews, but I realized that certain topics are so nuanced that you can't, you know, just, you know, compress it into a 45 minute interview. You got to go step by step and allow for it to unfold, just like I'm having a conversation yeah. with you in real person. Maybe there's an angle that you would like to explore more and we sense it through mm-hmm. our interaction and we allow for where the conversation takes us, Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that beautiful conversation, um, one of my dear, dear teachers, Mel said, he's no longer on the planet, but he was a beautiful Jewish man that I just, he just adored me. And he took me under his wing when I was in my 30s and uh, uh, put my feet. I had so many wonderful teachers. I'm so grateful. So I just want to acknowledge him. But he wrote a book called um, Remarkable Meetings with More Remar- uh, Remarkable Conversations with Remarkable People. Yeah. And he met a lot of the world famous teachers. Uh, and he, he was, uh, he fought in World War II. He was an elder gentleman, but he had met a lot of the, you know, Carl Jung and right. you know a lot of Abraham Maslow, a lot of the young, uh, the teachers um, of the turning of the century. Yeah. Uh, you know, Madame Blavatsky, different ones, the ones that were the esoteric, the, the big, big ones. You know, and he was one of my teachers. Mm. You know, and um, he would also always encourage me. He he said to me, never be afraid. Mm. to have the important discussions and the important conversations with others, even if it makes people feel uncomfortable. He said, you're not here to help people stay the same. Mm. You're here to help shift consciousness and never forget that. Be kind, but don't let people, don't mistake kindness for letting people stay the same and stay in their misery. Mm. Uh, There's nothing kind about that. Yeah, that's that's so profound. And, you know, my next question is along the same lines as well. I love that you put that each person needs to have that experience that is meant for them, right? And for some people, it might look like a multi-dimensional psychedelic experience where they're, uh, you know, uh, seeing fairies or seeing colors or noticing geometric patterns or having this really uh, beautiful experience. For some people, it might just be a sense of bliss and they feel like dancing and feel like shaking, and right? And sometimes people judge themselves and say that, you know, I do not have that really psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. And they might tell me, and I, you know, like you pointed out, I tell them that we are all meant to have certain experiences and if we allow for it without any judgment we will um, you know have those experiences but uh, to, to my question to you is what are some ways in which uh, I as a facilitator or somebody who's holding space for a person can really allow for those cathartic release of a stuck uh, emotional energy um, you know what guidance do you have for holding such space that allows for a person to really you know release and, and be themselves and, and, and let go if they need to. When I sense that I'm going to have uh, what I feel is a bigger process, I don't do the breath work alone. I have someone who knows how to do the breath work with me to be with me mm-hmm. and to be my co-journeer mm-hmm. and to hold space for me in case there's something that I need. I'll give you just an example. Um, uh, seven years ago, um, I finished a very deep, powerful uh, journey with my late husband of cancer, and he passed, and my best friend came out from California to be with me afterwards, and she said, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. And I said, Nita, 
I need for you to sit and let me breathe a lot. You're here two weeks. I want to breathe every day, you know. And so we went into my sanctuary and uh, where I'm used to breathing other people and stuff and everything. But every day she would take time and let me do like an hour, hour two breathing session where I would just, you know, and the first ones I just felt numb. I just couldn't feel anything. And then a little bit later on, the next one, I, I was like angry and I was beating on pillows and crying, you know, and I was screaming and, you know, and angry at, at the universe. And then, you know, I went on a little bit more and then I actually had more of a, experience where Brad actually came to me and he talked to me and I was mad at him for leaving, you know, and right. and then I had another experience where he came to me and he explained to me what he was doing on the other side and what is, why, why it was time for him to leave and it wasn't about cancer at all. That was just a soul's journey for his soul and mind to grow through, but right. he had other things to do and he loved me, but I needed to get on with my life and, you know, and, and um, because he would be a spirit guide now, but he was no longer my husband. So that yeah. really ticked me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was comforted, but I was ticked off. I'm like, okay, good for you, but here I am. But anyway, yeah. on it went, and I was breathing almost every day. And at the end of that, we actually finished writing a book together, my friend Nita and I, called Soul Whispering. And I talk about the this uh, whole experience that I went through in the book on the archetypal life. Um, but what I learned through that, by the time I had breathed, you know, like five or six times, I was in a different place mm. than the place where I was just beaten down after two years of cancer treatments and all that and, um, you know, and just out of body and feeling like I might even have a heart attack myself and, you know, and all this kind of stuff and then grieving so badly. It's not that I didn't have, still have more grief to experience or more feelings, you know, or whatever, but I found myself in a place of deeper understanding. And he explained to me that he had another job now on the other side and that he was helping people, including me, right. from the other side and that he had a different job mm. and that I needed to release from him the jobs that he had here. And I did. And I think that I really sped up the process, not in a way that shortcut anything, but sped up that process to a few months rather than a few years. Right. Because I found myself moving from profound grief right. and uh, not being able to function mm. to wanting to live mm. and coming back and going more fully into my work. And from that time to now in the past seven, almost seven years, I've done more teaching, more programs, written more books, mm. and found love again mm -hmm. you know and have a deep relationship you know with the person that I'm in love with mm -hmm. and deeper relationships with ch my children and life and deeper relationship in some ways with Brad I felt mm -hmm. like that he's sitting there between my grandmother Twyla and my Mammy Jones and my vision wolf dog that I had for 17 years and that they're all sitting there yeah. and that when I get out of line they get my attention and they guide me but back to just what you said, you can go through every kind of experience. None of them are wrong, including lying perfectly still the entire time or mm. crying or being angry or reaching a place of transcendence yeah. or rebirthing. Give yourself permission. And if you're new to this work, make sure that you have somebody with you, you know, initially. 
you can do a little bit of breathing and things. Sure, of course you can. But initially, if you really want, if you really want to go deep, you know, to do yoga, you want to have a yoga teacher. If you really want to go deep with meditation, you want to have a meditation teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want the breath work, then find a breath work style that works for you, and work with a teacher, because they will hold that space for you to go wherever you need to go. Yeah, I love what you shared. And recently, I came across this term called fierce love. Sometimes in our life, <clears throat> especially we are we are so close to somebody in our intimate life, either they pass away, or maybe you experience like a deep heart breakup, which doesn't make sense at all. But in the energetics realm, it does make sense. And <clears throat> because we are so used to l- receiving love for them, we forget what love truly is: is unconditional love, right? And so, to me, yeah. the term fierce love means that you don't have to wait for the physical love back again to radiate that unconditional love that you have for them whether they're still in this physical plane or maybe passed away because in doing so not only will you feel empowered from within but you'll also be able to continue on your journey your purpose your mission you know just like just like you did and thanks for bringing out that message uh, you know during your journeys uh, within shamanic breath work you often feature some drumming and some beats right so what does you know this drumming do for the process how does it influence the mind or maybe the breathwork process what role does it play mm. <clears throat> well gosh that's such a big subject but i'll just say this that um when we teach shamanic breathwork one of the main things we teach one of the components one of the classes mm-hmm. um it, and we also do advanced class on is the use of music the mm. use of frequency and sound in the healing process. So I've done many, many different forms of, of breath work. Uh, Leonard Orr was a friend of mine, and he came here to my house, and we hung out together. And uh, and Leonard, he had this beautiful process of rebirthing, and I've done that with him. Um, but it doesn't use music, and you know, it has it has its own gifts. But with shamanic breath work, we use the music, and we use all kinds of music. But it always begins with drumming in the beginning. Yeah. Okay, drumming in the beginning. And here's one of the things. Again, let's go back. Go way, way back to the times when, you know, Neanderthals were running around, whatever. And the caves were there. We know that they had rattles and they had drums. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have a house, they didn't have a car, but they had spears and they had drums and they had rattles. And they drew pictures with their hands on the walls of hunting or of dancing or of making love, of giving birth to children, their history, those kinds of things. They found ways to paint. So there's a way in which from the beginning of time, sound has created new life. And in every spiritual text, and I you know, I did a lot of religious studies, in every religious text I've ever heard of, they talk about that the, it was the sound that created the light. The sound, the, the, the word was spoken, the mm. om was spoken, and from the word, the light was born. Out of the darkness came the light. So the darkness, the, there wasn't light and then darkness. There was darkness, and the light was birthed from it, from sound and frequency. And so as time moves on, you know, we're looking at that through all these different cultures, every culture, and I've been around all around the world, Every culture has musical instruments that mm. date thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Every culture has their songs to sing 
for death, for burial, for weddings, for bar mitzvahs, for, you know, initiations of every kind. And so when you look at the Shammai traditions, there's always the rapid beat of the drum. And then there's also the boom, 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 the heartbeat of the drum, which is how we start out in our work. When we take people into the breeding, we start out with the heartbeat of the drum, and then it gets faster and it goes into that uh, create the shamanic state. But it's called an entrainment. Mm. And when you do dream, um, listen to certain resonance and, and sounds, your brain begins to be entrained, and it's not making you think anything in particular, but it's putting you in a state where you can begin to explore mm. and go into an altered state and to say, what's over here? What's over here? I think I'll catch this note and go this way. So you literally and figuratively traveling on the frequency into the next doorway, mm. into the next state or realm of consciousness. So this is, um, you know, uh, music is an aphrodisiac to the soul. And music in whatever form, the drum, the rattle, singing, chanting, all these different things, catapult us. That's why you have music for funerals, why you have music for baptisms and weddings and parties and football games, right. <laughs> halftime and the football games, okay? Music is the frequency of love and healing. Yeah, that's so profoundly shared. And I love that you took it back to uh, our ancestors who were in the caves because we're finding now that people as back as 30,000, 40,000 years back made these beautiful cave paintings where they were depicting life as, you know, we know it, how we began, or just showing how good of a time they had <laughs> back in those days with a limited amount. They didn't have social media, no Facebook, no Instagram, but they still had, it seems like, a great time. And so it, it just reminds us that we don't need a lot in life. Sometimes all we need is a rattle and we need a drum and we just need to need support, someone to support us, hopefully a guide who is on this journey and we just need to breathe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. And the tribes, you know, uh, the native tribes here in the United States and around the world, you know, come together in powwows and gatherings and they would travel for days or weeks right. to get to one another. And the powwows to share their food, but the but the big the big moments mm. were when they did their dances and their tribal dances, and they had on their costumes. And I live just you know like 15 minutes away from Cherokee, uh, the Cherokee Nation here. Right. And every year they have the powwows and the dances, and the people come you know not only from the the uh, the area there, but from around the country, and will come there and the fancy dancing and the the men and the old women and the children, you know, and all dancing and. Uh, there are contests to see who, you know, who can dance in this certain way. Right. Um, and when you watch it, you're catapulted because they become the eagle or they become, you know, the, the blue heron or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's so interesting that uh, our uh, ancestors thrived on uh, coming together. But uh, even the word conspire. People are called conspiracy theories and conspirationalists these days. But if you look at the word conspire, it means to breathe together. Con is come together and breathe. Yeah. And so whether it's breathing or dancing or, you know, being with your children and, and of the elders and respecting every person in the community um, allows that individual person to, you know, go to the next level, so to speak. Um, but, uh, you, you know, um, uh, uh, Star Wolf, 
in the shamanic breathwork experience, after the breathwork journey, you know, you've written that the journeyer engages in sacred scribing, uh, where they, you know, in a way help process or integrate what they went through during the breathwork process. Um, and, you know, the, you've written that, you know, they work on ma mandalas or paintings or poetry or journaling. So what role does this play in the whole process? Because I want to really enhance the quality of my, you know, breathwork sessions. And, and I, see, yeah. I sense that there's a nugget or two that I can draw from to, to try out. So. Well, just like the um, ancient ones and, you know, and even on the tribes in the here in the United States, you know, drew on their um, um their teepees and that, you know, showing the hunt mm -hmm. of the buffalo or whatever yep. uh, after the journey and those kinds of things. Or it's, there's a way in which um, all the components come together. And so, you know, we start with the teaching it. We then we take people into the music with it, then to the breathing with it and to bo focused body work because we teach our facilitators how to help people if they get stuck. Mm. And in, in a birthing process, or if they need to be held, or to you know, uh, if they just need a hand on the heart or a hug, those kinds of things. So we teach the facilitators how to intuitively have a sense if the person needs some energy work or healing, or just some support, or whether they just need to be witnessed. And that's important to know when not to touch as much as when to touch. Right. But and, and to have an agreement with that to uh, with the person that they're okay with being touched or not. And if they're not, we never touch people unless they're getting ready to bump their head or something. We wouldn't touch them if they've asked not to be. Um, but when people come out, traditionally, we have them either scribe, like you've talked about, where one person listens and tells their story, the other person, and they write for the other person, write it down for them, and they do both that for each other, and then they can read what they have actually spoken about. They don't have to think about it while they're writing it. And, or we have them do art of some kind. And that could be clay, it could be a mandala. A lot of times, if it's a shorter experience, we'll just have a, part, a piece of paper with a circle on it and crayons or chalks or pastels, and people can then just draw whatever they want to in their mandala. Mm. But sometimes we've done things like, um, when it's a group here, we've had a, a big cloth out and had sand and had everybody make a sand mandala together. Right. You know, so... There's, or go out and find a stick in the wilderness and come back and to make their uh, life and death arrow and paint it. Uh, you know, it's the hieroglyphics. It's, it's the hieroglyphics. It's the, again, it's the petroglyphs, you know, of I am here. This is my journey. Mm. You know, this is my hand on the wall or this uh, is my buffalo right. or this is my, this was my experience or here is the death that I'm drawing of my, you know, my beloved, you know. And of uh, course, when you go to Egypt and you see the hieroglyphics, that's what they were doing. Mm. They were showing life, but also they were very mystical, and there were all these different rituals and things that were going on, and they were depicting the journey, some of it that actually happened and some that was symbolic, mm. and, you know, because, it, you know, they, they bleed together. Yeah. And so all of these have a function. So then by the time you take your artwork or your scribing, um, it helps ground the person. Mm -hmm. Instead of a person is coming to you and saying, oh, I had this amazing experience and this happened and that happened and this happened and it feels like it's all just kind of air. Mm -hmm. And it's just like one more thing to say that I did right. on my little enlight enlightenment checklist. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's different. You can come back and say, you know, I had this amazing experience, but then after I did my art, I saw things in there that I... I 
went, oh, wow, you know, I've had this symbol show up many times in my life before. Mm. And then when I went into my process circle and shared it in the group, somebody else in the group had also drawn it, the same strange symbol, or they knew what it was. Mm. Or the facilitator said, this reminds me of this, and I knew that was exactly what it was. So the processing and the sharing um, and the drawing and the art were really, let me just say this last part, Yeah. all the way from the moment when we come together in a circle and to sit in sacred circle with one another and then decide to go into a healing journey for ourselves and for the world. We breathe for ourselves so we can help heal the world. Yeah. If we're a hot mess, there's not much we can do to help the world. Yeah. If we can help heal ourselves, then we're effective at making change in the world. So like the tribes of old, we come together, mm-hmm. we sit in the circle, we share where we are, we talk about the journeys we're going to make, we go into the journeys, make ourselves vulnerable, and the surrender to our higher power to go wherever we're supposed to go for our own healing or for the healing of the world, whatever. And then we use the music, the breath, the invocation, the prayers to go in, to take the journey, body work if needed, Come out the other side, make our petroglyphs, come back to the circle, share our our collective wisdom together, and support each other to go back out into our lives more of who it is we really are. Yeah, I think you touched on such an important integral part of our human condition, which I did not think about before. But I think deep down we all have this yearning to leave something behind, even if we, you know, pass on but some small thing some meaningful thing that others can hopefully remember us with you know life is not guaranteed right that might be our last experience of just doing that breath work and feeling so good and maybe drawing a mandala and unfortunately if that happens maybe our family members will be able to look at that mandala and see the wonderful life that we lived and realize that we are at the mm. center of the cyclone the hurricane the storm no matter what it is and we, but we have this sense of calmness the centeredness uh, that no matter that can wither any storm, um, but but that's really really interesting. I love that you shared that. Uh, do you mind if we read something Maud has shared? It's so interesting to hear you talk about this today. After doing one of AJ's breathwork replays, I felt a death of a dense body that had been holding on a smaller, older version of myself. I do practice energy healing, so it was something familiar, but experiencing it as a death was something new. In that space, I felt great healing light. The channeled messages that flowed through afterwards were wonderful. My chakras felt more alive than ever. Thank you both for blazing these trials and sharing stories. That's powerful. And yes, you know, it's um, sometimes when people haven't had this experience, they can be a little scared because they hear words like death. Mm. Okay, and they're like, wait a minute. Uh, I want things to be better, and I want to feel enlightened, or I want to be happy. But don't let's don't do this death thing, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, the masters have said it's really important to die a little bit every day because we are anyway. We're moving every breath closer to death. But along the way, be sure to die daily. Mm-hmm. Along the way, before the big death comes, mm-hmm. be sure to die daily to your old self and become the next version. You know, just as the the trees uh, drop their leaves, just as the birds molt their feathers, just as the snakes shed their skin, just as the caterpillar leaves the cocoon, becomes a butterfly, we're not meant to be stagnant beings. 
And so death is a, becomes a not something to be afraid of, but to respect and to know that, yes, it's going to shake things up a little bit. But, oh, my, it's going to shake up and shake away like a bird that ruffles its feathers and the pin feathers fly out. It's going to get rid of that which is holding you back so that you can't fly. Mm. So it's just a little death. It's just yeah. a little death. And in that little death, there is rebirth. What a way to end our, uh, or come to a close of our wonderful interview that we're having today. Experiencing a little death each and every day allows us to respect the sacredness of death. Memento mori. Everyone's going to die ultimately. The way that I experience my little death every morning is by a cold shower, by coming closer to death, by uh, intermittent fasting, by realizing I don't need to eat all the time and my body does what is called autophagy, so killing all the cells that... I, I no longer need and also by holding my breath during my breath work uh, experiencing some of that good intermittent hypoxia um, but you know I, I love what you shared there I think everyone who's listening can really relate and apply into into their own lives Action Tribe I hope you enjoyed today's session so far we're learning and discovering that what we see around us isn't all there is some say that we are dreaming a dream and very soon we will become awake and practices like breathwork allow us to realize what a beautiful dream this is and perhaps more importantly what the truth is and what actually matters and for my experience what really matters is the unconditional love that resides in each of your hearts and the more you radiate it the more you have because just as Sandra Ingerman once put many shamans say that we are dreaming the wrong dream we live with the illusions that we are separate from nature, separate from the spiritual realms and victims of our life and environment. These illusions are seeds that grow into plants of fear, anger, hate, despair, and darkness. It's time to weed out these plants of illusion from our garden and plant new seeds. Let's dream a dream that embraces love and harmony and connection to all, and most importantly, joy. So think about that mm. for a minute. And Starwolf, we've come to the last round for today. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and hopefully take some action. So based on the incredible amount of uh, knowledge that you've experienced and come across in your life, what is the best piece of advice that you have received? Hmm. Live one day at a time, I really think is um, one of the most powerful messages. And I learned that actually in AA all those years ago because I was getting ahead of myself and I was afraid. Mm -hmm. I was aware that, oh my gosh, I was waking up and there was so much to change. It felt right. overwhelming. It felt like I should just maybe go back out and, you know, as I say, eat worms you know, or whatever it was like. Um, and then I heard that piece of advice from somebody that put their arm around me and said, just take it one day at a time. That's all you have, you know, and in this day, see what's possible, mm -hmm. you know, you can push yourself. It's okay to, like with the cold water, it's okay to push yourself. But also give yourself time to just be, you know, and to breathe and to be still and to go within. And um, and trust the process. I have to say there's two. The second is trust the process. Great. And if you could go back in time, spend one hour with someone who's living or dead, who would it be? Well, today I'm going to have to say that it would be my dog that was 17 years old when he passed Vision Wolf. 
and Vision Wolf um, was a good friend of mine at the time. Um, the folks, uh, um, James Redfield had written um, The Celestine Prophecy, and his wife, Sally, uh, had called me up and said that this dog was my dog. There's a whole story behind it, but anyway, um, I went to their house and spent some time with them and ended up bringing this dog home with me. And later on, I was around different yogis and lamas from other countries who told me that he was an ascended master uh, uh. and had, was taking a lifetime out to be of service, but to taking lifetime out and to be with me and to support me on my journey. And um, so today, the reason I'm saying that it would be him, because there's many on the other side, obviously, for me now, um, but I'm actually contributing to a, a book by a... a um, someone who's a pet, he, uh, an animal psychic communicator. So she's writing a book, and one of the chapters is going to be about Vision Wolf. So she asked me today to send the piece and to contribute. And so he was with me all day, and I felt him with me. And he loved Grandmother Twyla, mm. and he loved Brad, and I just know that, he, that they're together. Um, but there's a beautiful story with him in that he... Um, at the time that James was writing the second book, uh, The 10th Insight, Holding the Vision, mm. I, I didn't know the title of his, of his book, but I was talking to Sally on the phone, and she said, what are you doing? Are you holding magic? Because I'd named the dog Magic, and he's about six weeks old. Right. And I said, I said, I am holding him, but his name is no longer Magic, because while I was asleep, he crawled up and laid beside me and whispered in my ear that his name was Vision. Mm. And she said, what are you doing with him? I said, I'm holding him. She said, oh, my God, you're holding Vision. And James has told me he's going to name the book Holding the Vision. <laughs> Crazy. That's, that's so I would I was really missing his physical presence in my life because he was with me for seventeen years mm. and he sat in hundreds of breathwork groups and would lay by people and put his paw on them and yeah. brought some into healing and soul retrieval. So yeah. I was I actually was crying earlier today as I was doing the interview about that and um just mm. Wishing I could physically fill him and give him a big hug. Yeah, and one of my goals is to is to manifest a dog. I've never really owned a dog in my life, and I've always yeah. wanted to own one. And my goal would be to have a beautiful dog um, join our breathwork sessions, hopefully in, in person once this uh, crazy pandemic ends. Uh, but to, to have a dog, and maybe that's the intention that I need right now. Uh, but Star Wolf, what They're you... wolves, you know. They're wolves. They're wolves. I'll... All dogs come from wolves. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. All dogs come from come from wolves. So wolves are the original um, ancestors of the dogs. So yeah. when you're with a dog, you're walking with this with the wolf clan, the wolf pack. Yeah. So this, I'm wolf tribe. So sounds like you're ready to uh, walk, be the pathfinder. Yes, absolutely. You know, when I was a kid, uh, and you know, there was these chat rooms, right? That was very popular back in those days. And my username was Nightwolf. I love it. See, there you have it. It was Nightwolf. I, <laughs> I, I just want to put this out here now that all your friends and those who are watching uh, will now call you Nightwolf. Nightwolf, yeah. That this is part of who you are, the Nightwolf. The, the one Nightwolf. who walks in the shadows. Alone. Who brings, brings <laughs> light into the shadow. There you go. Okay. Yeah. I received my name. Uh, Star Wolf. What is one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before you sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Express gratitude to, to the universe every day, regardless of what's happened. And that's hard sometimes because, you know, um, life goes on, you know. Um, people die, people come and go. 
Um, there's so much in the world we see happening, you know, around us. And yet, I feel so grateful. I was expressing it earlier today to my partner, and I just said, you know, I have so much to be grateful for, regardless of, you know, what goes on. And, you know, there's things that are happening, challenges that I'm meeting in my life right now that we're all meeting. But I have it better than most people, you know, and I have to remember that. I have a warm place to sleep. I have food in the cabinet, you know. I have three wolf dogs. Mm. You know, I have... Uh, I have a mountain with a retreat, you know, I have friends and people, I have my work that I'm doing, I'm in love, I have children and grandchildren, you know, I am blessed, I am mm. a blessed woman, and I've worked hard in mm. my life to be, um, you know, things didn't just fall into my lap, I've put a lot of, of energy into it, but there is a grace in the universe, mm. and I'm so grateful, and there's a, there's a, um, and I was taught that by all of my teachers. Every teacher I've known said to me, do not go to sleep at night without saying help and thank you. And in the morning when you get mm. up, help and thank you. And how can somebody grab a hold of uh, your book to learn more? Well, they can, you know, the best thing to do actually is go on the Amazon. They can go to Linda Star Wolf and they'll see all my books there. Uh, and they'll see shamanic breath work there that gives them a really good, um, many of the things we've talked about and a lot more and personal stories and shamanic 12 steps and 30 shamanic questions are all in that book. Um, and there's lots of um, information you can find on our website, which is shamanicbreathwork.org. Uh, we pretty much have quit mailing out books. We just say go to Amazon. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get away from that. Somebody said we need to go to AA. Um, Amazon Anonymous, so. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we need to create something else. Yeah. But right now, that's the best way to to do that. And um, yeah. Cool. Is your book on Audible as well? Um, you know they're working on that, I believe, right now. So I, I need to check back with them. They had talked to me in, before the pandemic about making it because I also wanted to put it in a couple other languages. So awesome. um, I'll have to check with that and. Uh, the, if you know, people say to me, which books would you recommend most out of your books? And I would say the Shamanic Breathwork and Visionary Shamanism. Um, but I am very, very connected to the Shamanic Mysteries of Egypt. So if you want to see the mystery behind the mysteries, to me, the Egyptian mysteries are the most profound of all that I've studied. Wonderful. So we'll definitely have the links up in the show notes. So thanks, first of all, for giving me this name for, you know, reacquainting yes. me with Nightwolf and, you know, welcoming me to the Wolf Pack. Uh, you know, I've done many of these interviews. I've done over 410 interviews, but you know, it's very rarely that I come across somebody of like you who had such a pleasure of uh, interviewing with your grace and your presence and your kindness and your ability to connect right uh, across space and make me feel uh, comforted as a host because that makes a huge difference and i'm sure the listeners can sense your energy as well so thanks a lot for for sharing um and and taking us one step closer to a human revolution well thank you night wolf and you know when somebody gives you a name they're really not giving it to you what they're really doing is they're calling out the name that you already have and you even said it yourself so I am giving you the name, just like Grandmother Twyla gave me mine in a vision, wow. you know. But at the same time, 
you had already received it. And who knows? Maybe it was me or Grandmother Twyla <laughs> that whispered it to you all those years ago as your handle. And uh, to be used now in a, in a new way. Right. And I sense that, that you're one who's willing to look into the shadows to find the light. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, attendees. We'll just end this stream right here. And I hope you all had a great time. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is MySevenChakras.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.